Welcome in, welcome in is the Four Mandalore podcast. The day is here. It is time. LSU has beat Bama. Disney what? Plus has launched. The Mandalorian is here. It is the time to be alive. I am Nick Ash and he is T-Bob Bear. T-Bob, how are you feeling right now? Um, I feel incredible. Uh, I, I did not, I, I didn't know quite what to expect out of this Disney plus launch. Um, I mean, obviously the Mandalorian is the thing I was most excited for when I opened it up yesterday, I was overwhelmed by the unreal amount of content that is on that system. I dabbled in a lot of star Wars content. I, I watched, uh, an hour of new hope last night. Um, which by the way, barring, you know, some of the just terrible additions of the 90s to those movies. Like, I wish that they would release them um, in their original form. The, the Java scene, man. Whatever. I don't want to talk about that. What I want to talk about, though, is the quality of the stream on Disney Plus is unbelievable. And seeing A New Hope in HDR and 4K is fascinating. But you know what else looks incredible on there? The Mandalorian. And 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 what a first episode it was, Nick. I was blown away. I was on the edge of my seat. There's so much to talk about. I immediately started watching it again after I watched it the first time. Um, I, I loved it. And we are going to break it down in depth today. Uh, you just watched it. Nick, what did you think? Man, I... If you want to talk about setting a tone, that opening scene is is just, you know, I, I he walks in, you know, we all know what happened. We saw the scene. Like I, I think the tone that you're going to set for the series was set perfectly in that scene. Um, I love the 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 tension and then the quick fight. Bartender slides a drink and then bam, it goes. Yeah. Like, I, I loved the feeling that you get sitting there wondering who is he, what are they doing, what's the motivation, and then it all just explodes. And I I loved every second of that. Yeah, movie. a very um a very and, and this episode directed by Dave Filoni, who is uh, the creator of Rebels and the creator of um Clone Wars, I believe. Yes. Which puts some respect on that man's name. I mean, he deserves to be in the Star Wars Hall of Fame. I loved how this episode was directed. But I mean the the, the opening shot um definitely reinforces what a kind of uh loner the Mandalorian is, this this bounty hunter. Um He's, he's, I don't know, they're on some sort of ice planet. It's very desolate looking. You, you know, you get the feeling that you're out here in the middle of nowhere. And obviously, uh, he's hunting someone down. He walks into some little kind of dive bar and it's very rough shot. And there's, there's some tough looking individuals there. And it's, it's a classic, um, I mean, throughout the episode. Big time Western vibes, which Absolutely. obviously Star Wars has always had a lot of, but this is leaning into that even more. And 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 I've always loved the kind of sci-fi Western genre. That's why I love things like Firefly. Um, but I mean this 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 whole episode was like a mixture of fantasy, a mixture of Western, a mixture of sci-fi, and 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 it was just fantastic. So yeah, in that first episode, you immediately. Understand that you're dealing with uh, the you know that kind of tough guy archetype doesn't say a lot. Um, they're just to get the job done, if you will. And he beats the hell out of these three guys. Easy work makes it look quick. Um, they immediately highlight his armor uh, with with one of the guys asking him and, and also calling him Mando, so you know that there's something special there. But um, I, I can't remember what was. Do you know the term off the top of your head? Like he asked him, it basically is that real Mandalorian armor? But it was he asked about the yeah, actual the metal, metal type. Yeah, yeah. I, I was. I'm not sure what the, the name of that was, but it was. Um, it, it was a striking scene. I mean, like everything that you get out of that first intro is what you could expect from someone who. Um, it would be a great intro for someone who's never seen Star Wars. Yeah, who doesn't know what's going on, just wants some entertainment, and yes. it also did enough fan service. And we know that's kind of like a buzzword, dirty word around here, but like. It did enough fan service to give me chills all throughout that opening scene. Yeah, and um, and you you even got some of the old uh, the kind of Mandalorian tools on display immediately, if you will. Uh, not only does he knock the first two guys out, but then the third guy's crawling away. He hits him with the kind of <laughs> wrist launch, like grappling hook thing that wraps around his legs. Then the guy shoots at him. You see the Mandalorian armor come into play immediately. As the 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 blaster shot kind of glances off of him, and then with the ultimate kind of just swag out kill, like for no reason, <laughs> he could have just 
shot the guy on the ground. Instead, our our protagonist, the Mandalorian, <laughs> decides to shoot the control panel and close the door on him so that it slices him in half. A lot Tomb Raider and, death scene. Yes, and, and and like uh like the cantina in in A New Hope. Um, nobody really reacts, which gives you an idea of the kind of bar that you're in. I mean, this is a bar full of kind of hardened people on the run. And and that's where we definitely figure out that he is uh, a bounty hunter, right? I mean, it's a great introduction because, as we said, it kind of starts with this guy being picked on and the Mandalorian comes in there. And I guess, you know, I'm viewing the episode through the lens of someone who knows that he's a bounty hunter. But if you did not, it may have looked like he was going to save this guy, right? right? This right. guy's being picked on by these tough individuals. Uh, he was not going to save him. He is there to bring him and collect the bounty, which he then tells um, our little alien friend, who is very funny. By the way, uh, the blue alien. I don't know what species it was or, or, or his name, but um, he's I, a unidentified mithral. An unidentified mithral. Okay, yeah. well, uh, he the, the he, he was spectacular, and and you know what he set the tone with immediately, What's and that? this hair carries throughout the episode. His makeup, the blue alien's makeup. Um, it was it almost everything in this was practical effects in the episode. There right. was definitely some CG and, and and the CG was well done, but the vast majority were practical effects. It translates to your brain so good. It feels like Star Wars. Not that that necessarily matters, um, but but I thought that the production values throughout were excellent, and his makeup was kind of the first thing to cue me on that. The Mithril's uh, makeup was striking. Yeah. I, I really, like, would, would take a look at him through various scenes and be like, wow, like, that's that's impressive. And and so they ca- so he captures this guy, and he tells him, you know, you can come with me warm, or you can come with me cold. And, I love that line. And then, uh, and, and then we start to, we step out of this bar, and I feel like we kind of start to get a larger look into... Um, well, it's just what we're going to see in this universe. And it's stuff that we've never seen in Star Wars before, right? right. And, you know, Star Wars is galaxy-wide, so you're going to have different planets. You're going to have different ways of doing things develop on different planets. And this ice planet seems to have some sort of um, taxi system that involves being <laughs> summoned by a, like, by a magical flute, like if you will. Like a snake charmer type. Yeah, some sort of snake charmer thing. But just just immediately letting you know that, yeah, this, this is space, and there are a ton of aliens and a ton of different cultures, and uh, you're, you're going to see cool new things that you've never seen before. Right. And I think uh, immediately after we get that sequence of uh, the Mithral and all his capture, uh, right into the cantina, I think we get our first taste of what this series is going to set the tone for, which is what happened, you know, after six. What like yes. what, what happened? Like and and for me, I, I don't know if this is just build up over the years of anticipation or wondering what, what what officially happened, you know, like. But that moment when he puts down the imperial credits and he's like, you know, these don't spend anymore. Yes, like I, I wrote that specifically in my notes. I was like, wow, like that. It hits you. You see the logo. You see the 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 implication of what the imperial credits are, and you're like, yeah, these don't these don't work. Yeah, and it's like you, immediately, and I I guess this is kind of a weird thing to say because it's it's almost it's almost not like something that you would expect to be uh, powerful, but it it struck me as being like I agree. Is, this is the world we're in. Like it set the tone. You could say whatever you want about all the costumes, all the practical effects, which are all awesome. Not discounting them in any way, but that scene, man, like it. It put me in that world, and that's a place we've never been. Yeah, and and I think that just goes part and parcel with being a huge Star Wars nerd, right? Because you've Absolutely. always wondered, it, like you said, it's it's one of the great gaps. And I know there's some content that covers it, like the Battlefront, the new Battlefront Two main storyline covers a little bit of what happens yeah. um, after the Emperor dies. It's not terribly interesting though, and 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 the thing that I like about the Mandalorian compared to anything else I've seen is you're getting. You know what that does? You're right. It 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 it's boots on the ground. Yes. The entire conversation with um oh what's the actor's name? Why am I blank? Is it Carl Weathers? Uh, I think it is. Think it is. We'll, we'll have to look it up. But but the entire conversation gives you the boots on the ground perspective, um in terms of like inflation, uh what are imperial credits worth? What money is worth? It just you get the feeling that the entire galaxy is destabilized. By by the emperor's death, and that was our main question, right? Like, because look, you look at Roman history. There's been plenty of Roman hi- emperors that have died, and the empire kind of went marching on. So, 
we we asked how did the first order come about already um we like i thought the i thought that the empire might have lasted a little longer right. or that it might have reigned supreme still post uh palpatine's death but it looks like kind of right off the bat at least whenever the mandalorian starts the empire's already in a bad way and starting to crumble it's shocking it's 7 years after the death okay, of the so that's seven years after so, the okay, okay, so there has been that makes sense. Then there's been a little time for it start to crumble. So you really, I, I think even you know, and I understand this is a small part of of the episode, but I think it really is way bigger than most people would give it credit for because w- we get an idea of what the tension is in society. You know, he's handing him this this inordinate amount of money seven years ago. Imagine you know, uh, say you were in a society and your currency failed. And then later, someone offers you buku money in that currency. Yeah, like no, I'm not. No, it's it's it's. uh, I I think it's called fiat currency. I'm not sure if that's the correct term, but it's where like, you know, you have like paper money or 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 anything that where where the actual material doesn't have value, but the 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 government behind that material or the power, like like you know, merchants, everybody accepts that. Okay, the U.S. dollar, like the you know dollar, whatever, it's printed print on paper. Right. It only means something because we all accept that. Okay, the, you know the, this will. I this is a reasonable form of payment because I can use this to pay for other things. So when that government goes away, when that order collapses, you're just worth with a bunch. You're, you're left with a bunch of worthless paper. And I think that's what what will give us a hint as to how we transition into this new first order society is that it it's a point of tension man like this dude he's taking way less than what his work is worth yeah be, because it's just something to have you know he's like uh what are the bounties worth is like 5000 it's like that's not even to cover gas yeah like the the way that you set up that tension that he you can hear it in his voice and the other guy's voice the, the, that tension that's being set up is leading towards what the first order will be, which is something to rally around. Whether or not it's evil or not, it's going to give you order, and it's going to give you value to your currency, and it's going to make your work worth money. You know, and and um, and to go back and and to kind of build on that. So, the empire financially, we see, or at least their money, it's it's in shambles because the money is not worth le- or the money is worth less, and everything's kind of falling apart. And then, um. Because he says, you know, what, what's what's your best bet? He's like five thousand. That's going to even cover fuel. He's like, give me your most expensive job. Like, what's your most expensive job? Right. And that's when uh, it is Carl Weathers. Uh, that's when Carl Weathers sends him to the back room. And why this is so fascinating? It expounds on everything that you just talked about. And and it's interesting to me because we see stormtroopers and an imperial officer hiding out clearly in hiding and why that matters is that is not where you're used to seeing stormtroopers the the shoe is always on the other foot they look like the rebels in this scenario like they are in the position of weakness their armor is dirty they look like they've been living uh very rough and rugged the imperial officer you know Werner herzog does a great job of phenomenal playing a man who who is you can tell he's just kind of angry about the station that he used to occupy versus kind of like the the rat like existence that he's living now (laughs) so so yeah everything in that bar just really drives home that this is not the empire that we are used to seeing. No, and, and I have that in my notes as being one of the most I, I, I say the word striking uh, a lot, one of the most striking visuals of yeah. the entire episode is he opens that door and it's almost akin to seeing, like you were saying, whenever they open the door and the rebels are hiding and, and yeah. hiding, it's like it's like, what? Like th- these these are these are the stormtroopers, this is the empire. Yeah. Like, like this is what, you know, I and this was the image that flew into my mind as soon as I saw that scene, or while the scene was progressing, I saw the armor. They were the camera was panning around the room to the armor, and I was just thinking of them standing on the deck of the Death Star in the gleaming white armor and the lights and the, yes. the black striking uh, black background, like that juxtaposed to this. Yeah, like they're grounded. They're literally grounded. Yes. They're used to flying yes. above everything, polish your armor, keep it super clean. Another, and I'm not a military guy. I mean, like I've never been in the military. But you know that like a core tenet of the military is keeping your armor and your and your uniform looking clean. It's right. like a predecessor to success. Like it's why they make you shine your boots and your buttons and make your bed and all that stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Well, obviously that's all broken down. Yes. Because they're not putting any effort into that whatsoever. This is a group that is trying to survive. 
Um, now I know we're going to advance from here, but but there's a couple things that I want to talk about before we do. Um, first off, what did you think? Okay, oh, key part that we don't know what it's going to be yet. Right. But to go back to the space taxi over the ice, right where you know you blow the magical whistle and <laughs> and the that. and, and the, the speeder that. shows up with the droid. Why does the Mandalorian say no droids? He is adamant that he does not want to ride with the droid, which I don't know. Like what? Like I. Maybe it's something about being tracked. Is it like an? an, an it's not. It, you have a lot of knowledge of Mandalorian history. Do you know? Do they have some sort of inherent mistrust of droids? I mean, the end of the episode would maybe say no, but there is this sequence. Um, and again, this is going to depend. Like we talked in episode zero about how much they rely on uh, Kotor legacy and lore. But when you go to Duxin in Kotor two, um, which is uh, the Mandalorian moon, essentially, is where it's like a hideout spot with a bunch, a bunch of weapons caches and stuff. There's uh, the place where Mandalore is hiding out himself, and his whole community is, like, technologically deficient. Like, they have so many mm. problems with the, the, the hardware, they don't like working on it. Um, that is the biggest parallel that I can draw to it. And, and obviously, if you've played the Ducks and Map, you know the side quests are all about the technology and all about working with the droids and the, the things that are malfunctioning. So that is one parallel I can draw. Um, I don't know if there's anything inherently. So they just so so it kind of reminds me of reading about the Mongols, where the Mongols were just warriors. But what they would do when they would capture a place, if you were an artisan or a tradesman, like if you were a goldsmith or a silversmith, like you would then get captured and you would have to do that for them. Yeah. So like you would then be building their armor, you'd be maintaining their machines of war and everything. So this almost so it sounds like what you're talking about is similar to that is that what is affecting our Mandalorian and the show? I don't know, but it's just important to highlight because you don't put that in there without it coming into play later. He specifically says no droids. He turned down a brand new speeder for then a beater of a speeder. Where, that like, was hilarious. I thought and, that was and, really yeah, funny. Yeah, full comedy <laughs> effect. So it, like, it, it pulls up and it's spewing smoke and then even a little like plate falls yeah, off of it. It just, like, hits the ground. But, it, but a human is driving, so therefore our... Mandalorian is uh he's he's okay. Right. And and then they take off. What did you think about the ice monster? Oh man, I I, I that sequence was was awesome. I, I loved it. I mean I, and it's, th- there were a few moments where not necessarily horror, but kind of like spooky not not spooky, but like you know, whoa, you know, yeah, type, no, type moments. Sure. And that was one of them I thought. Um I really I thought the ice monster was a great visual. I loved the effects on it. Um we obviously don't know much about it, but I thought it was a great movement. And episode. you know, we probably won't learn anything more about it, right? No. Because like this is a this is a show that seems like it really wants to reinforce the scope of the galaxy, and that's not always something that Star Wars does. No, I mean, in, in in some ways it does, but in a lot of ways it keeps things very narrow and very intimate. Um, and and so like I doubt we see those monsters again. Who knows if we'll ever even be back on that planet again? Uh, but man what a terrifying planet to live on i mean as the <laughs> yeah. land speeder is going away it just gets straight up chopped this like giant walrus tusked beast alligator thing was so powerful it was literally stopping the mandalorian ship from taking off right. um and then so they take off and there's another reason why i wanted to back things up real quick because uh you, you get more great comedic relief from the my, my drawn what'd you say Mithral. The Mithral. Uh he's like, oh, I gotta go use the bathroom. He's got all kind of great lines like I'm molting and all the other and, and I will say this. A lot of his lines were very cheesy, but I think they were but I think they're funny. But but what I love is this entire show feels very sincere to me. It's not like kind of cheesy and laughing at itself or being like, oh like you know, isn't this kind of stupid? It's or it's Admiral like, Hugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's like that was like Yes. It's it, it's very um it, it, it's very sincere in how it does things, and I think that it it sells it. But but anyway, he goes to the bathroom, and then and then we get another kind of callback to the original trilogy, where he's walking through the basement of the ship, and he sees multiple people frozen in carbonite, and uh, he kind of gets an idea of what's about to come for him. And and what an effective bounty hunter that makes the Mandalorian looks like when he goes ahead and when he does return to Carl Weathers, he's turning in like five bodies. Yeah. Like like just he's he's got him stacked. It's the big payday. Throws the trackers just all Yes, yeah, just yeah. kinda just splashes him across the table. Um probably not. Psh- 
shit up. So, like, so yeah. already, so already in like ten minutes, uh, we 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 have an idea of he's obviously an incredible fighter. Um, he's a great bounty hunter who's very effective at his job. And then we'll go back to the Herzog scene. Uh, one thing I love about that. So we open up, we see the stormtroopers. It's obvious they're in hiding. That's all crazy. And then somebody opens a door. Uh, and, and immediately, quick draw. The Mandalorian has a gun out and his rifle out. He's pointing him at both sides of him. All the stormtroopers have their guns trained on him. And he tells him, you know, they're like, it's four against one. I like those odds. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's an alpha <laughs> so male statement good. right there. So good, man. Like, I, that, that whole, the whole sequence really, uh, the, the tension was there, man. Like, yeah. it, it, I, I don't think it was something to where, uh, like a force standoff or something that made you be like, all right, come on, move, move along. It's like, really, it's like, whoa. Like, cause I think part of what made me feel that way was that the the fact that you see the stormtroopers in such the, the barbaric state they're in is, yeah. is just so like they're desperate. It's, it's so anti what we've come to be used to. And I, I love that. Like, they also I, I really feel so that. on edge. It, they kind of feel like people who have had a lot of people trying to kill them. There's a shakiness in their voice. Yes. Definitely. Very shaky. And uh, so it ends up, though, and I love how Werner Herzog plays it because like any kind of great bad guy or any powerful character, the guns being drawn really mean nothing to him. Like he stays yeah. calm and he's like, hey, look, everybody, let's just right. let's just chill out. We got a job to do. I hear you're the best. This is a very tough job. Everybody's failed, like, and I can pay you. Um, and, and then it comes to find out the person that entered the room was a doctor, which uh, will come into play. And, and and so then Herzog basically ends up telling him, okay, I have a job for you, but there is no hollow deck. What were they calling hollow disc? Uh, or there is no disc, basically, with like all the information. Bounty puck. The bounty puck, yeah, yes. that's it. The bounty puck, which which is the key to hunting someone down. It's all the relevant information, you know, name, age, visual, last scene. All Herzog gives him is age, 50 years old, mm-hmm. and then what the last known uh the last known location of the bounty that he's looking for and the last four digits of of some kind of ID. Yes, code. yes, um, that's true. And a and a tracker. Like, yeah, like and one a fob. of the, like the yeah, the fob things that like beep 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 whatever that does. Uh that's all he gets. And and then you know go uh, go search the galaxy, uh, Mandalorian. And, Good luck. And he does say, look, if if the Mandalorian's reputation is any indication, then you should have no problem. And um, to our hero's credit, he you know didn't have too much of a problem um, finding that planet. Uh, what did you think about? Or, or actually, before we move on from the Herzog scene, what what, what else stood out to you there? I, I think the. I guess like you were describing how the doctor uh, reacts to the situation, saying like these these weren't the terms we agreed upon, all, all that type of stuff. To where um, they're, they're changing their strategy seemingly on the fly, and the Herzog just like, oh well, you know things have changed, or we're going to do this differently. Like that that sets, I think that sets more the tone of the world that we live or the universe that they live in at that period of time. So this is important to point out because you're right, and when we left this out, but when they're talking about this unknown bounty, this this huge job that Herzog has for the Mandalorian to do, he um he tells him at first, you know, br- bring him alive. Um, the doctor specifically talks about wanting the bounty alive, which you immediately think if there's a doctor, and he looks like an evil doctor, right? I mean, he does. He just does. He's a space like, Nazi doctor. Yes, he looks yeah, like, exactly, like, exactly. He looks like a Nazi doctor. Like if you are wanting a bounty alive and you're a Nazi doctor, then we know that there's some messed up dissection based kind of uh, experiments uh-huh. coming, right? Uh-huh. And. To my surprise, though, that's when Herzog, like you said, says, you know, I understand the bounty hunting can be complicated and says, uh, you know, it would be a lower fee, but we'll also accept proof of the bounty's death. Now, the doctor was obviously upset, but why that's important, it does show you that the pragmatic nature of this imperial officer, he really wants this bounty to be taken out of the game, yeah. if you will, right? Whether it's killed. Now, ideally, they'd like to be able to capture the bounty, experiment on it, etc. But whatever this bounty is, it means a ton to this um, these these ragtag imperial forces. I'm I'm fascinated to figure out why it means a ton, but it does. Uh, we should also talk about the payment. 
yes. that Herzog gives a Mandalorian. Uh, what is that type of metal that he gives him? Because to me, not knowing a lot, that seemed like some sort of metal that maybe Mandalorians used to have that was taken away uh, from them or some such. Yeah, it, when we fast forward to the um, the uh, the sequence where they're in like the hideout area, I guess. Uh, and is that a Mandalorian symbol when they go into yes. that hideout? Yeah. Right, that is the yeah. Mandalorian symbol hanging out yes. above uh, the doorway. Which, uh, on a sidebar, that that whole hideout concept is amazing to me because it shows that they're sticking with the idea that they are like a race of people that like are collectively uh, have been a group and have been a tribe and have had tribes in the past because she says the word tribes. Yeah. Um, but she. It proves to me that they're they're because we don't have any canon evidence of them wanting to stick with that narrative. Yeah, and they are, which to me is a huge relief because I was telling you so much in episode zero about how much I wish that they would keep the Kotor type narrative. Yeah, and it appears the Mandalorian are. history. Right now, it does look like the Mandalorians are severely weakened at this it point. It does. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of them because. They treat, you know, our, our the, the protagonist treats that entire scene with a lot of gravitas. Like, when he's in there, he obviously has, like, a ton of respect for the blacksmith. He almost treats her like royalty or like some sort of holy priest, and yet this is not an especially impressive place that she's hanging out in. No, and I It's think like a little bit of a hovel. Your, your term priest is very—I I like that term a lot because as a warrior species, a warrior race, the Mandalorians— worship battle like that, yeah. that that's all that they that they care about and want and and uh to kind of uh tie, tie along what what this sidebar was all about which is was the the beskar iron um, Besk- okay that's yeah. what it is beskar iron. that's what he asks in the beginning is that real beskar armor yes is it though i don't think it is at least not at first I, and because it doesn't of what look, comes it, next. It doesn't look the same. And when yeah. you see the knife scrape in the very beginning, when he says that real best yeah. arm, it chips the, uh, it like, well, I guess it takes the paint off, so maybe it is. But but continue. Yeah, but uh, that, when you see her uh, take the Beskar iron and melt, smelt it and make it into armor. And not um, using it as money, right? Like right, it was right. clearly, it had the Imperial signal on it. It used to be a form of cash. Right. And all they wanted it for was the actual raw material. Yeah, and that's, I think you see the, the dichotomy between the, the, the two, you know, schools of thought to where this is, yeah. we, we prize the most valuable, um, indestructible, blaster-resistant armor as being, you know, the most holiest of items we can have, as opposed to, this is so, you know, blaster-proof and strong that we're going to use it for money. You know, that you, you see the two differences in, in the in the groups. Maybe that's an indication as to why the Mandalorians have survived longer than the, the other tribe. But either way, what we see is that he's getting these, like, flashbacks during the construction of the armor. Oh, yeah. Like, with, with every hit of the hammer... He's getting like a flashback to to his youth, and I, I imagine that this is the purge that uh, the Beskar was claimed in. Um, but and so and so is Beskar traditionally a metal found on the Mandalorian home planet? Well, like you said, was it just a metal that they amassed through the years? Because when Herzog gives him the Beskar, I believe he says. You know, it feels right to give this to a Mandalorian. So there was some purge where they obviously took it. And then the blacksmith talks about, oh, this is very good of you to return this to the tribe and talks about the runoff seeding, uh, I guess, multiple other pieces of armor or something that she's going to build. Um, which, and she was a female Mandalorian, which is also interesting. First time, at least on film, that we've seen that. Um, but, but, but I got the feeling that. This Beskar is a natural resource of Mandalore that was taken from them by force, and that's why it's so highly valuable to them, because it creates the best armor ever. I, I imagine you're right. Um, I, I'm doing some research right now, courtesy of Esquire.com, um, and apparently there is no really indication as to where it's from. Okay. Uh, they're, they're speculating it could either be from the Empire's ocup- occupation of Mandalore, yeah. the planet, or uh, have something to do with Order 66. Um, either way... I think to me, I got the feeling it was it was all about. Um, it, it feels like a natural resource that they got exploited from yeah. and taken from. I, and I also, agree. that's like the empire's like that's like their thing. Right? They take right. over your planet and they exploit your natural resources. Like it's how they built the Death Star. It's how they build all these 
massive starships is just by taking over mining operations yeah. and, and everything else. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think you're going to be right in that speculation, honestly. But and I think when you see the and this could be this is totally kind of an out of pocket speculation. But when you see the the smelting of the the best car and it kind of pouring down like a yeah. river, it kind of could be some sort of symbolism as to making it like it's a natural resource. It flows like a river. Something yes, something of that sort. Um, whether or not it is liquid in its natural state, it is like flowing. As, well, it, as what, what a, it did to me, it just reinforced. It would be like somebody. Saying you had like thousands of dollars in silver dollars yeah. and you melt that down to create something like you don't care about the monetary value, you're there for the base metal. Right. And another thing that I loved about all this is, you know, she looks at it, she's like, hmm, I think you get a pauldron. And are we going to see this man? collect armor piece by piece like it's a badass fantasy rpg because i I'm love here. it i'm here for it i'm man. in the midst I'm of replay wow classic right now which is all about the loot right. all about armor right. all about going on quest for the booty i mean that is a you think about uh bilbo and the troll horde getting sting or right. or or the mithril like like it is a uh going on the quest and then getting the booty afterwards is a core tenet of all my great like fantasy stories that I know and love so much. And this was a direct, I mean, straight up, he just got a shoulder. He yep, got like one yep, shoulder yep. for his quest. It was awesome, dude. I, I, I just loved it from that kind of RPG type of standpoint. I'm, I'm absolutely. And it did that. look different, though. I wonder if it looked yeah. different because it was painted or because if eventually his whole armor will start to look like that. And I, I, you know, this could be wrong, but I recall the stylizing of his, uh, uh, shoulder pieces to be different from the Beskar one and the other one. So, that is true. They did. So, it looked different too. Yeah, not just in color, but in in shape, form. Um, so that that is something to keep our eye on. Something yeah. to kind of slip in the back of our minds, along with um, those other points you were saying earlier about. Uh, I believe it was when whenever the standoff was going on, how to keep some like keep that in the back of your mind as we go forward. Like, yes. Pay attention to those little details. Uh, Mandalorians also, it is said, I can't remember who said this, never take off their helmets. Um, yeah. Is that something that is traditionally true in KOTOR Mandalorian culture? Uh, generally, yeah. Whenever the whenever um, Mandalorians are wearing their armor uh, in KOTOR, they're, they're never seen with like armor and no helmet. It's always uh, like Mandalorian KOTOR 2 is always going to have his helmet on. You can never put any kind of armor on him that takes the helmet off. Um, and, uh, whenever you get Mandalorian, like legit Mandalorian armor from like looted Mandalorians in KOTOR 1, um, it, it's on you as a full, a full thing. And there, but there is, since you're not a Mandalorian, I imagine that this is why it's the case, but you can wear like Mandalorian battle armor, yeah, which gives you like 11 bonus. It's one of the most like OP, uh, armors in the game. Uh, and it's, it's doesn't have a helmet. So, I mean, I guess it kind of depend on your interpretation of what, um, the, no, dude, the I'm, culture I'm, I'm, is. More, I'm more saying like from and and it feels like Mandalorian culture. Yeah, and and that's and you see in the comics as well. Um, whenever uh, uh, shoot, what's his name? Roland. Ro yeah, whenever Roland. Thank you. Whenever Roland takes his uh helmet off in the um in the spaceship, that is kind of like a whoa. Yeah, very you're, you're vulnerable like, moment. You see him. You see his face. Like, yeah, that's like oh. Because like it, all the other Mandalorians in that comic series never have their helmets off. Um, so as we go to okay, so they never do, and and so maybe that's because Roland's kind of out on his own a little bit, a little bit of a Ronan. I think he subscribes to his own kind of yes ideals. Uh, so more on the blacksmith scene. You mentioned the flashbacks. Do you think the Mandalorian is a little kid on Mandalore, or is he captured by Mandalorians? Like, what do you think's going on in that flashback scene? I feel like he has enough of a loyalty to the tribe and the clan to be a native. You know, uh, you see uh, uh, Sasha in Kotor One get captured by Mandalorians, and she is not there for it at all. Like, she doesn't. She learns language, and gets indoctrinated, but she wants to leave. She wants to go back. Yeah. Home. That's her total attitude. Now I understand that's one isolated incident, but if we're going to get any any indication out of it, I think that's that's relatively accurate. Um, so I think he's been a native. So he's probably so we see. Well, we assume that it's a little kid, him. Maybe it's not, um, but it looks like he had some sort of traumatic upbringing, which sent him down this road. But the blacksmith scene ends with him being, you know, thanks for 
his unselfishness, his loyalty to the tribe, and then he gets a sick-ass pauldron. Love it. Uh, and now it's time, though. You got your fresh gear. You kind of rested up a little bit. It's time for another quest. So this is when you start to go chase down this bounty, and he he meets up with an alien. And, and I got to highlight one scene real quick where we see what's the little alien that's Jabba's little chirpy uh, oh, I love that. Chirpy yeah, yeah. sidekick was, or whatever. Was like he's on the little Jedi, thing and yes. he's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> one of them is roasting. Uh, one of those little guys is roasting. Another one's in a cage, like uh, kind of freaking out. And it is so clearly uh, a puppet. Yeah. But it works because of that. Right. Like, like all the practical effects in the show, it just translates to your brain better. Um, I, I, I just love that from a production value standpoint. I thought it was spectacular. And then you meet this little alien guy as Mandalor, you know, as our Mandalorian's kind of asking around. You meet this little alien guy who is voiced by Nick Nolte. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, more practical effects. He's obviously a, a, a small actor in a mask where the mouth is animatronic. Yeah. And they don't even really try to hide it. No, they don't. I think it's 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 way more obvious in, in his way of speaking than it is in the other animated characters you know it's it's way way like behind on lagging on the voice yeah and it's, like, it's like i mean it is it is clearly someone puppeteering that mouth but again i don't know what just for my brain it works i like that nolte type of character and then it's a little interesting we get it we get a funny scene where we basically look uh the the nolte alien tells the mandalorian like yeah look i can point you where to go but everybody else has died mm-hmm. uh you know if 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 what I know about Mandalorians is true, then you you should be fine. And I I'm I'm sick of this. Like I want I just, I want people to stop showing up here and asking. So I'm just gonna like I'm just gonna point you in the right direction. Maybe you can do it. But before he does, he has to learn to ride a blurb. I have it written. Blurg? Blurg. A B-L-U-R-R-G-S. That's <laughs> a great name to begin with. But this was an interesting scene because this is our first look into the Mandalorian not being the fully stoic archetype where he's not going to say anything. Like he kind of has a little looseness in this His vulnerability. Scene. Yeah, that is that is not shown elsewhere and anywhere. I've been in the Star Wars universe, whether those Kotor comics or the Kotor movies where Mandalorians are heavily portrayed, they don't have that vulnerability. Like, yeah, anywhere. And 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 he's trying to learn to ride a blur because as Nick Nolte tells him. Um, if you want to get where we're going, you have to ride a blur. Right. I have spoken. I love that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have spoken. Um, and and as he's trying to ride the blur, he, blur, he's like falling down, and he's telling like, couldn't couldn't I just get a speeder or this or that? And then I wanted to pick your brain about this because Nolte tells him, uh, "Are you not a Mandalorian? Like your people used to ride what? What was it?" The, you, mythos- you the mythosaur. The mythosaur, which mm-hmm. sounds badass. <laughs> sounds I have awesome. no idea what a mythosaur is, but it's awesome. And he basically shames him, and he's like, wait, you're Mandalorian. Your people have a great history. They used to ride the mythosaur, and you can't ride this little blur? Right. Like, who are you? He calls him a foal. <laughs> you can't ride this foal? Yes. Like- you can't ride this blur foal? And then so... He gets shamed, and he, he learns to ride the Blurg. But do you know anything about the Mythosaur? I do not, but I would really have given anything in the world to hear him say the word basilisk. But Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> like, little, mm, mm. If, he, if he would have been like, your ancestor used to ride basilisks in the battle, I'd be like, hey, oh, let's go! It exists! It actually is a real thing, but no, it didn't. So they went with the Mythosaur instead. Basilisk but, still may come up. But Mythosaur is an extremely badass name. But not yet. So it is a badass name. I'm fine that it exists now. Um, and, and then they ride the Blurg, and Nolte and the Mandalorian ride it out to the middle of nowhere. And, w- like, what I imagine, uh, like, any great, like, you know, I, I guess, whatever, what was called to my head was, like, Osama bin Laden's hideout or something, where yeah. they are out in the middle of nowhere, a very hard-to-reach place, and yet there's this sprawling complex that pops up out of nowhere, and it is crawling with armed guards. Oh my goodness, they're everywhere. Like even IG11 is having a hard time taking it. How about like, it? like that's that's ridiculous. Wait, so do we know so that was IG11? That's not IG88. It is not IG88. Um I had my closed captions on and it said IG11. I, the closed captions are the reason I have half my notes cuz they they give like the that names and all this stuff so I'm 
very thankful for those. Um, but yes, I uh, I was really shocked with like the fact that an assassin droid was having difficulty taking out all these people. Like, I mean, of course he was mowing them down in the beginning. Like he was just like you know chopping them up. But like, I, I think as it progressed and they bring out like the big guns, like the chain guns type thing, I was like what are these people doing here? Like, like what, what could they possibly have that's worth like losing? They, they're, they're dropping in the tens, bro. Like they're, they're a literally lot. like, like there's a, like a lot. Five, there's five at a time dying and each like, as the camera pans, it's like, it's well, like, think, think about the amount of resources that go into a base like that because they're in the middle of nowhere. So transporting anything there is incredibly hard. It's barren. They yes. can't farm. Yes. It's barren. And yet, here they sit. They have the resources to feed, obviously, what seems like, you know, maybe like a hundred different guards. Uh, they've got big buildings. Um, who are these people? Is this a rebel faction? Is this a republic faction? Like, who are they? Why does the Empire want them so badly? What are you after in this bounty? Like, that is another kind of interesting piece of all of this. Is even though we, you know, the protagonist is the Mandalorian, and that's who we're cheering for. He is doing work on behalf of the Empire in this scene. And so you're almost cheering for a guy to kill all of these people that in any other movie we would probably be on the opposite side. You can make their own series about how they got there, how they yes. journeyed to the middle of the desert to protect this, you know, you know, thing that we will talk about soon. But um Nick Nicktoes are what they called is what I could gather from the closed captions. N I K T O. It's the camp, the Nikto camp. I'm not sure if that's the like Nikto camp. I'm not sure if that's the name of the species or that the name of the camp was called Nikto, but that is what I've gathered from that. And uh, so, as you mentioned, the Mandalorian gets there. He's like, "There's a lot of people here. Wow!" And he's kind of scouting it out, and then he sees uh, IG Eleven. He's walking. He has, he's just, just like, walking. He's like strolling up, just strolling <laughs> up. Um, which, by the way, the effects on IG Eleven are fantastic, phenomenal, phenomenal. phenomenal. Um, it looks to me like it was part practical, part CG, which is the best when you use practical that is maybe enhanced by CG and, uh, and, and he's of course voiced by Taika Waititi, who, uh, I love so much, Thor Ragnarok, What We Do in the Shadows. Have you ever seen What We Do in the Shadows? I've not. Hilarious movie about vampires living in New Zealand. Um, well, that makes sense because I loved his humor more than anything else in that first episode. Yes. I, out, of, out of all the, yes. not out of anything in the episode, but out of all the humor that was presented, self-destruct initiated. Yeah, it was like, no, stop, stop. <laughs> it was like countdown. No, 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 stop. Like, it, I, I love that, and it, I think it's the delivery too that made it as good as it was. But out of all, there were three or four. You know, definite humor moments or humor yeah. characters. He was he was the best. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. You know, Star Wars always always had an element of funny to it, and they're wearing that on this sleeve in their sleeve in this show. And I think it married they are. well. I'm glad they are with kind of the because you know th- this whole show feels snappy and fun, even though it is kind of you know it's a little dark. Like you have a guy getting sliced in half within the first minute, um, but it works. If you tried to go too serious with this or too kind of plotting i it it could it, it could maybe just drag a little bit this Absolutely. felt like this felt like a theme park ride right almost throughout the entire time and it really picks up in the fight scene with ig uh, 11 and the mandalorian as basically they end up teaming up saying like uh hey like you know it's uh, he's like, oh, you're on this job, and he basically doesn't the robot at first tell him like, hey, you got to get out of here. You're not uh... right. This is my this is my mission. I'm programmed to take this. Uh, this is my. I have the contract. Yeah. yeah. And then the Mandalorian tells him, well, I don't. You know, you don't have the bounty yet. And he's like, oh, okay. To my computer brain, that makes sense. Fine. Well, well good point. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll go in on this together. And and then what happens is just a crazy fight scene. I mean, IG spinning around. You get an idea, and it's so cool for all the old school. Star Wars fans of Empire and all these other things. It's just so wild to think about how the entire Star Wars universe was born, where in Empire, it's not a throwaway scene, but like a lot of the building, uh, world building in the original trilogy, they're obviously just putting a bunch of crazy designs and throwing them in a room and being like, look, uh, these are bounty hunters. Right. And, and now they have these like fleshed out histories. And, yeah, yeah. And, and the IG droid, I got the idea because Caitlin's asked me, my wife was like, well, why would a droid care about a bounty? To me, that there's a company that build these things to make money on them, right? Like, they right. build and sell these assassin droids to collect bounties and to make monies uh, with assassinations. 
And, and, and so to go from Empire and seeing this goofy-looking skinny robot and now to finally, 40 years later, see him in action, and, and my God, he is effective. It was just, uh, you talked about fan service earlier. It was a very nice Star Wars fan moment to see an IG droid actually get it done. Not in the comics, not in still images, which I love, but actual high production value live action. There's a way to do fan service right. Yeah. There's a way to do it wrong. They did it right. They did it right. They did it right. Did anything stand out to you from that fight scene? Oh, man. Uh, I loved the uh, the thermal detonator, uh, just the way they drew it up. Uh, it's kind of like a small detail, but I, I like the, the visual on it. In his chest? Yeah, especially because earlier when you see, uh, I think it was in Jabba's throne room, um, Boba kind of like unlocks it, and goes, you know, and... And you don't really get a great visual of it. Yeah. Um, this is kind of like a, a better detailed version, but that's a you know. And and another thing detail. that makes you think that this is a big private company that makes these droids is because um, basically IG tells him when it looks like they're screwed, and it looks like they're screwed. I mean, you could just see more and more people being added to the mix. How are they outgun going to outgun them? There's no way. IG88 says, "Oh, you know, I have to avoid capture. It's in my programming." Like, which makes you think of the plans behind these. Robots are pretty damn secret, and that's when he, you, you know, you know what I love too. Great, great movie making storytelling. I think a little bit here is that, to your point, the visual of instead of him just saying I'm going to self destruct and like doing a countdown and saying Oh, I'm not anymore. The visual of his chest opening, that's yeah, that, and exposing it, the detonator and then closing it. It allows you to know clearly. That when he's bouncing back and forth between blowing them up or not, which becomes a great bit yeah. as the Mandalorian's like, "Whoa, whoa, come on!" <laughs> like we still we can do this, okay? We can do this. We just got to figure out exactly how we're going to do this, yes. and uh, and he does, and he does, and and did, did you think this was a bit odd? So the what what was the camp the. Nikto. The Nikto camp. Uh, then they, they, they so they, they're, they're trying to get him. It's the kind of at a standoff type of moment. And then they bring out the big guns. They bring out this just giant. Do you know what type of gun it is specifically? It's like some giant, like, Gatling gun cannon deal that just fires super powerful blaster floats at a crazy rate. And, um, and eventually the, the, the IG droid distracts it. Well, the Mandalorian kills the person on it. And then what's wild is the Mandalorian hops on this gun and he takes out, what, like 20 people? Oh, crazy. 30 people? And, and a, sli- a very small backtrack, the way he gets the guy off the gun. Is How does absolute- he get him off the gun again? I he shoots remember. the hook and rotates the gun around. And I think it throws the guy off, and he just pulls himself onto yes. it. And I think he—I I think this is wrong, but I think he shoots the guy who was on it. Like it, it was something that was like, "Whoa!" Well, like, basically, and so then cool. when he jumps on it, he hits this like crazy spin where he does yeah, a three sixty, yeah, like, <laughs> and he's killing everyone around him. But okay, this is what I was going to ask: Was it a bit odd to you? Those are a lot of dead bodies. It's like in a Star Wars show. It was like, uh, like I don't think it was a hundred, but and like you got the heroic music playing, and there's no blood or anything, but you got the heroic music playing. It's just like, oh yeah, moment, and they pull out, and there's like dozens of dead bodies everywhere, and you're kind of like, whoa, like (laughs) like, this is kind of like, yeah, it's kind of graphic a little bit for Star Wars. He just killed a lot of guys, but it does give you validation of the faith that Werner Herzog, the Imperial officer, showed in The Mandalorian. It gives you validation for the Nick Nolte alien and what he showed in The Mandalorian. You know, because they, they both said basically like, well, you're a Mandalorian, and if the legends are true, you should be able to handle this no problem. And you got an idea of why the legends are what they are. These are elite warriors. It also makes the 4v1 talk from the stormtroopers earlier look pretty damn asinine. Dude. Of course he likes his odds in 4v1. Right. He just took down 40v2. To, to not to not just hear about the Mandalorian for one. To to not just to not just being in the moment when he's mowing him down, but to be in that third step, to be in that moment after. And yeah. you, and you look at you you survey the damage and it's like this dude's legit. Yeah. Like it, it, it's it's one of those moments that he didn't have to include, I don't think, but once you did, you get so much more respect for the character as a warrior and and at, at it's kind of a microcosm of the Mandalorians as a race as as to what they overcome, as to what they can do. Um I'm very excited to see that he is setting up the race for 
for the reputation that they're going to have. So they defeat the Nick Toe camp. They go inside. And immediately when you see, like, you know, you see the fob, the tracker, beep, 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 beep. And when it starts beeping and you see what it's pointing at, you're me like, oh, God. Oh, God, this is not a person at all. Right. This is a baby. It's like a little, like, crib type thing that he's pointing at. Um, and then they open up the crib. And what's inside? Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Now, obviously, so it's not, not, it's not the not character Yoda. of Yoda, but Yoda's race. Did, did, wait, did we ever learn what Yoda's race is called? So, slight sidebar. Um, in Knights of the Old Republic, uh, this is, if you're counting at home, my 2750th KOTOR reference. Yes. But, as, but um, the, look, that is the, the, the historical backdrop from which we are drawing. That's why we have you here is for your incredible KOTOR knowledge. Vandar Tokare, a character in KOTOR, is Yoda's race. Like, yeah. obviously. Like, it's even like, it's like the act, the voice actor that's doing is doing a Yoda impression. It's, it's obviously his animation, his height, everything about him is, he's Yoda's race. Him and Yoda are both um, defined in Wikipedia wow. as undefined races. They don't, yeah, they don't I've know. Yeah, I've just seen this. Yeah, they, they uh, have no, um, they, they have no backstory to their race. The the best information that it really gives us is that they're small carnivorous humanoids. Yeah, that, it that, that, I mean, this is kind of insane. It um, has not been named in any official media, canonical or otherwise. He's merely said to be of a species unknown. And that's and that's the same for Vandar. So the only other reference we really get in my Star Wars knowledge is Vandar, and he has no no better background than Yoda does. Wow. So. Here we have a little baby, a very mysterious age, which is great because he is 50 years old. But as we know of Yoda, they live forever and ever. And so even, I mean, I was just thinking, man, how hard would it be to be a parent in that race, <laughs> right? I mean, Jesus Christ, like get out of diapers, kid. You're 50 years old and you look like you're like three months old. It'd be, it'd be terrible. Um, but him and IG, they walk up, they see the baby. And this is another interesting point. IG-11 obviously has some different orders than does the Mandalorian because yes. he immediately goes to kill Baby Yoda. Yes, he does. Um, and so I don't know who hired the IG droid, but but that is a detail needed in and of itself. And here we also see the Mandalorian. I think at least maybe they maybe they 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 it doesn't go this way depending on what he does next. Maybe he's just trying to bring Baby Yoda back alive. But I think we see a bit of a soft moment. For the Mandalorian as he is kind of like, you know, we just saw this guy mow down a hundred people outside and he obviously has a little hesitance about killing this baby. And sure enough, he kills the IG droid. He he destroys it as it's going to destroy Baby Yoda. He's killed a hundred people who are on the side of this baby. Yes, that's a good point. That are protecting this baby. Like my mind just draws a blank at that, especially at the thought of. You get a you get a a big question that comes up in this because he he kills a, a fellow bounty hunter even though it's not you know member a, of the a, guild yeah, exactly. too which is a big deal like they're in the, I forgot that's how he originally got the IG droid not to kill him mm-hmm. is because he's like whoa I'm a guild member too like you can't kill your other guild members that's that that's like I'm sure that's crazy taboo or yes. not like absolutely like you you would get executed for that like he's gone through all of this to. To, to save the baby, and okay, I can understand if you're going to come at, you know, come at the situation with the argument of, oh, he's uh, going to save the baby because he want, he's, has a terrible mindset and wants to see the doctor do crazy things. But our last shot of the entire episode is him extending his finger towards the baby and, like, the baby extending his finger yeah. towards him. Like, I have a lot of questions. And baby Yoda is cute as he's hell. So, cute. so his eyes. Oh my god! His big god. old eyes. Oh that my is goodness. an adorable little baby Yoda. Um, maybe it's like the last of a race. Maybe they reincarnate. I guess we know nothing about this. It's fascinating. I never knew that this could be anything. Then that makes I just assumed that that little baby that Yoda's race was known. That makes this all the more fascinating, all the more arcane. They could go any direction, all the more mysterious. I should say they could go any direction with this. Why is the baby so important? I mean, okay, if I had to guess, um, I'm b- between the character you named from KOTOR and Yoda, these are obviously a people that are, have been very Force-sensitive or powerful in the Force at one time or another. 
Um, you have a doctor that wants to experiment on it. Is it to learn more about this race? Is it because it's a Force-sensitive baby and they want to learn about the Force? Uh, there's 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 obviously a lot more at play here. And then just the base question of, like, why is the Empire so worried about this baby? Why does the Imperial officer, why is he so worried that he's even willing to kill the baby. He doesn't care about learning whatever the doctor wants to learn. There's so many great questions to be answered when it comes to Baby Yoda. T, it is so fascinating and exciting to me to notice that we're sitting here after the first episode has come out, correct? Yeah. And the most exciting storyline in a lot of people's eyes is when we had no idea what's going to happen coming in. No idea. That's such a good point. It's, no idea. It's not like... We're getting slowly a slow drip of information on a plot that has been out since the trailers. Like, we are getting this full throttle, crazy idea that we could learn about a race that has had no explanation in the yeah. entire Star Wars history. Has had two people, as of my knowledge, has had two people, two people in canon, or, yeah. or two people in the history of Star Wars. That's fat. That's fascinating. Well, and and what's wild is you know we did our episode zero right. We're previewing what we're looking forward to. We went all into Mandalorian history. We talked about how oh we can't wait to see about the rise of the First Order and what shape is the Empire in and how does that all work. This was never even on the radar. Not Just even, like you said, this, this was never even in play. And now all of a sudden this is taken. Uh, this is taken center stage. Which is I understand it's more of a. I guess all of those points, besides how the First Order was formed, is a little bit more deep dive than a lot of the casual fans might be into. But the the fact that we have this uh, storyline that we had no idea was going to happen, I think it shows you like the the directions this series could go in as to as to what gaps in the Star Wars world can be filled in officially. We talked about that in Episode Zero too, about what you know as an overarching point. What gaps are we going to see filled in? Not just, you know, the First Order stuff, but what what are we going to find out? What are we going to learn? Yeah. Because this is the one gap that we really have in, in the whole, you know, main chapter of Star Wars is what happened in between 6 and 7. That's really what we have to fill in right now. And and we're getting something that not only applies to that gap, but applies to the whole history of the Star Wars universe. I'm, I'm fascinated to find out what is going to happen I next. wonder, man. I wonder... I just have so many questions about Baby Yoda and what his significance is. Because obviously there's something massive behind that baby. Like we said, look at the amount of resources it would make to maintain that Nick Toe camp. The amount of resource I mean the amount of guards, the amount of ammunition, the, the amount of weaponry that were that was put in place to defend this baby. You have Nick Nolte's character talking about how bounty hunter after bounty hunter have come and tried to capture this baby. Or not even bounty hunter, but people right. have been trying to go and find this bounty and just they've all died. They've been unsuccessful. Like, everybody is after Baby Yoda. Why? And then, what does this mean for the Mandalorian next? He killed a guild member. It doesn't feel like he's going to turn Baby Yoda over to the Imperials. What do you think happens with the Mandalorian next? I think, and I, th- I guess this is my mind going full Forensic Files, uh, can they find out that it was the Mandalorian that killed IG-11, or could it be left, No, I, that, that, that's fate, a fair point. You know? Probably not, right? I mean, in, 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 a, in a shootout where 100 people are dead, What's one more dead robot amongst the bunch? That's what uh, I guess my mind first went to the fact that when you watch those episodes of Forensic Files, they're like, oh, they found out uh, this guy killed this guy because of the caliber of the bullet or the type of gun. Yeah. And I guess this is kind of a different world that we're in because there is no bullet, really. It's just energy. Um, but are there specific marks that could tell what kind of energy it was and that it came from Mandalorian Blaster? And can that tie the Mandalorian back? Like that, that's another kind of subplot that we could kind of look into as we go on. I don't know if it'll be that major of a point. It may just be totally disregarded. But Well, but I, I mean, no, because, at. I mean, look, I, I don't think that's crazy at all because I could easily see going the route where obviously he claims he didn't do anything, and then the guild has some sort of, like, forensic specialist that comes in or maybe they look at, like, IG-11's data tapes and they see, you know, is there, like, a black sure. box in there? Like, how to go down? Like, there's, there's a... Like, I absolutely think that the guild has to figure out that he killed IG and that eventually he'll be on the run from the Imperials. He'll be on the run from the Nikto and whoever they are. He'll be on the run from the guild. Like, you could have a, a, a true man against the world um, type of setup here. Yep. Uh, final thoughts on Mandalorian Episode 1. Episode 2 coming out Friday. 
by the way, and then every release every subsequent Friday. So we are getting a a double dip here in week one, and thank God we are. I just checked my watch, Nick, because I'm already looking and counting down the hours to episode two. I'm I'm ridiculously excited for it. I, I guess I had a few little uh, odds and ends that yeah, I wanted yeah, to bring do. up um, as my closing thoughts. I had this written down. I love the true to Star Wars transitions, uh, the the clockwise fades, green yes. wipe. All those little things. Um, Dave Filoni, he gets it. I think everyone kind of understood that those would be in it because if, if it they weren't, you know, it wouldn't really feel Star Warsy. But I wanted to point that out that I appreciate. I mean, that. overall production values, like I keep mentioning, the practical effects, those classic explosions that are like sparks shooting out of the wall, like when right. a, when a blaster hits, like the same sparks that you see on New Hope when Vader's sitting there boarding the Tantive, like. The, the just the production value. The, the the makeup on the aliens was fantastic. When they did go CGI, like on the Blurg and on the the ice monster, I thought it worked. I thought it worked. You know, I still prefer everything else in there, but I, 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 it was obvious that Disney put a ton of money behind this, and you have very talented filmmakers and set designers and costume designers, and it just gives it a. It just all felt so realized. I mean, right? It goes back to why I love the why why the original Star Wars blows you away, is that it drops you in this world and doesn't feel the need to over explain itself. Not at it all. just presents this world and makes it real because of the set design, because of the costume design, and that was just. I mean, this first episode was just filled to the brim with that. I I, I loved every second of it, and I um, the another aspect you pointed out the costume design, um, all those little things. The score. My goodness. And this is okay. For My those that don't goodness. know, Nick Ashton is a member of the LSU marching band, so an accomplished musician in his own right. Uh, I can't believe we got this far in the show without mentioning it. What, <laughs> what, what, what did you think? What did you think about the score? I, I felt that we, we kind of pointed out the vibes of it being a Western-type show. Um, you know, the, the I guess Star Wars has always been a space Western. Yeah. But the, the it's music— kinda, It's always been in that realm of fantasy— sci-fi and a little bit of western like hondo's in a west side but like luke basically feels like a fantasy story just in space and that that carried over into the score i think better than any star wars score in any movie or any series has ever done it wow in terms of capturing the western feel um and that, that's kind of like a minor criteria but i, I felt like the the, the Western feet, uh, feel, especially in the syncopation and the strings when they're riding across. Um, syncopation? Yeah. What is syncopation? Syncopation is when uh, the music does not line up with the quarter note. So say the that's your quarter note. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. I was saying, uh, okay. It's kind yeah. of off the beat. Yeah. The strings had this line that was like, or something like that. And I was like, it was like because they're riding along, they're bouncing. It gives it like, kind of like an alien type of uh, a little. It, it it gives it sort of an alien type of adventurous, feel. you know, yes. adventurous. And I I really loved um, uh, the composer's use of syncopation in the in the score. Um, and I I felt that this score was knocked out of the park. I sat on my couch just watching the outro, not only for the great art. That accompanied oh my it. god! The concept art, in unbelievable! In the, the credits—are you kidding me? It's like, it's like John Favreau and them just reached into my brain and pulled out like everything I love about Star Wars and put it into this show, dude. It's crazy. And then you, and then you kept listening to the score, and I'm just sitting there like, this is content that we have. We have this content. Yeah. This is not an idea. This yes, is not exactly. a concept. I'm sitting here watching it, man. I cannot contain my excitement about the future of this series. What are your closing thoughts? What do you I think? think about speaking it? of westerns, it almost felt like it's almost like you can almost hear like the, <laughs> but instead of a whistle, it was this kind of synthy, spacey type of vibe. So uh, yeah, the, the score was fantastic. Um, the fight scene at the end was like. So on the nose, Western too. Even to the point where you have the classic shot where IG shoots straight up in the air, and then you see the body like fall down afterwards. People like hiding. All it was missing was like a guy hiding behind a barrel. If they'd had a guy like <laughs> yeah. hiding behind a keg and pop up, that was like the only thing that wasn't there. But no, look, I, I mean, my my takeaway is just pure excitement. I had incredibly high hopes for the show, and I think it even exceeded my hopes. Like you said, the mystery of Baby Yoda. Where do you go from there? The gaining of the armor piece, you know, you get a pauldron, and then all of a sudden he's got a sick new piece of gear with great stats, like plus five to defense, whatever it is. Um, 
the production values are just spectacular. The humor, the sincerity, like I said, um, cheesy, maybe whatever, like, like not, not cheesy for cheesy sake, just, just writing the story and living that story. And I just, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And I just can't wait to see more of it and the potential of this show to massively alter the, um, the Star Wars world as we know it, I, I think is huge. And, and I wonder, do we see any of the Mandalorian in something like Rise of Skywalker? God, I hope so. Uh, I mean, Episode 8 comes out December 27th. Episode 7 comes out on the 18th. You know Disney plans this stuff way ahead of time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Would not be surprised at all if there's some sort of shout out there. So Mandalorian Episode 1 gets a huge Two thumbs up for me. I loved it. I can't wait for more. I couldn't agree more. And our last little nugget that I wrote down is that uh, for my KOTOR fans out there, we know that when we speak to Twi'leks in the game, uh, a lot of the times their their lines are recycled because they're speaking an alien language. And a lot of them start off with them saying, Achuta. And I found out through the subtitles that that word means hey. So oh, no. Wait, who says it in uh, this episode? Uh, one of the guys in the cantina. In the, fir- the, the guy... Uh, Which cantina? Because we see a couple. There's the first the one. The first one. Like, like in the very okay. first scene. Yeah. yeah. That, um, I've, I've officially found out what that means. And I've been playing that game for years. I've never known Achuta. what the word achuta means. So like, Oh, it's so good. So uh, whenever I play that game, I'm going to think about that from now on. That is your extremely informative last nugget of information that I've gotten from The Mandalorian. I'm uh, Nick Ashton. He is T-Bob Hebert. Um I think I can speak for both of us when we say our, our excitement is through Woo! the roof. And uh, we cannot wait to come back and give you a recap of the second episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been the For Mandalore podcast. For Mandalore! <laughs>